Hello, listeners. Welcome to a special edition of the First Word Podcast. Uh, we're going to do a very quick, exciting episode uh, discussing the new Alex Garland film, Annihilation, which um, a few days ago when Mike first saw it, he messaged me right away and said, we need to do a discussion about this. We need to have a podcast on it. So here we are having the discussion. Right, Mike? Yep. I don't even know if you can really just talk about this movie over text. You have to flush it out. Which is kind of what's fun and what the beauty of this uh, podcast can be is we can sort of just pick each other's brains about the movie and maybe some of the other details like release strategies and <laughs> things like that. Yeah, this is this is our, um, as you joked, our emergency podcast on Annihilation. Um, the I know you are as well, but I'll say for me that I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. Like I, it's my favorite genre. I love sci-fi. I see all every last sci-fi movie. Annihilation has been on the top of my list for a long time. I'm a huge Alex Garland fan, all the way from The Beach. I actually really love The Beach, uh, the movie. I mean, not just the, the book. But um, I've always been confident that he knows what he's doing. Ex Machina was an awesome debut for him. Um, it wasn't my favorite sci-fi of the year. I felt like it was good, but it didn't win me over. Um, Annihilation is also a very unique sci-fi film. Um, and I'm glad we can get into it because it's worthy of this kind of discussion, as you're saying. So, yeah, I was actually, um, completely surprised to find out that he was involved with the beach. Cause I love that movie. And, um, well, he read the book, man. Well, I mean, it, ultimately, I just sort of you sort of find out that these people were involved with things that you've liked along the way, and it just adds to their credibility. But it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with one thing or the other. And then you start rethinking whether or not they are actually all related, and whether or not the ideas are the same. And I think that's one thing with like Ex Machina. It's worth revisiting that in the same breath as this movie. There are some kinds of connective tissues, whether it's just the way he used windows and reflections and filming from the other side of a wall a lot, to just maybe some of the thematic similarities. But uh, Garland's an interesting case because he, he came from the writer world, and I was always hesitant with Ex Machina whether he could pull it off because I thought he's a great writer, but is he really a, a director too? Um, so it's interesting to see him come at this with these two films now because he he makes them from an angle that I would say is more driven by the story and what's happening than it is by the visuals, but then also complements it, especially in Annihilation, with the visuals that make it into something. But but he comes from that mind of he knows deeply what the story is trying to achieve more than some filmmakers who I think are just purely visual. Well, and I, I think, you know, before we kind of get into the movie a little bit, it's worth mentioning why uh, this is unique for us between the two of us. You know, I got the chance to see the movie in theaters and um, I, because I was so into it, I went again today right before our podcast to just get one more fresh take and a second look because um, it, it requires multiple viewings to really appreciate the subtle nuances but you living in germany didn't have access to uh this movie in a movie theater why is that yeah well it's been a weird situation not a lot of public information has been released but so for the last few months everyone assumed everyone in europe or the rest of the world assumed that it would get a theatrical release 
you know, from the local distribution. Paramount is handling it in the United States. And there were release dates listed on IMDb for a while, saying like March, I think, or April or whatever, when they were coming up. But then in the last few months, there were all these sort of rumors and a couple of sparse articles where they said that Paramount had, similarly to the Cloverfield uh, paradox, had sold off the rights internationally and that Netflix, of all places, would be just distributing the film in Europe on its own while still releasing it theatrically in the U.S., which is the weird part. There's a difference between, say, the Cloverfield Paradox, which is they sold the rights. And I think what they were doing, um, I was thinking about this before we recorded, is that the what Paramount is doing is that they knew they wouldn't make a lot of money on, Param- on Cloverfield because especially Cloverfield's not that great of a film. And that instead of putting it out in theaters and wasting money and risking that box office damage and all of that, they're like, let's just hand it off to, to Netflix. Let's sell it to them for a chunk of money and let Netflix handle it, which turned out very well for Netflix. It was a huge thing. You know, whether it changes the industry or not, we'll, we'll yet to see in regards to the launching at the Super Bowl night. But that was a big enough thing that it made sense for Netflix. Now, the difference here with Annihilation is that, first off, uh, it's a much better film. The second difference is that it's being released theatrically in the U.S., which is a huge thing because this film really needs to be be seen on the big screen more than Cloverfield, more than a lot of films that Netflix releases um, because it's so visual, but also because the sound, the whole thing is just you need to be in that like darkened room full-on big screen kind of experience to get lost in the film. There's also so, well, um, there's and there's also something to be said for the energy of the other people in the room like you can you can feel that moment near the end of the film when things start to get a little weird you can feel everybody in the theater's energy just sort of being sucked in by the movie and some people scratching their heads and getting confused and trying to figure things out and and there is nothing that replaces that when you're at home alone watching something on Netflix. Yeah, of course. And that's why I love this cinema. That's why I love it. I really love it. So my my brief rant to just discuss this for 2 minutes is that um what happened is that all of a sudden within a week of it being released in the US and all the press were starting to see it there was still no information from European Netflix on when it would come out. And then all of a sudden they announced March 14th, I think, is the Netflix release in Germany and Europe and so on. And I live in Berlin, so I'm stuck here limited with what I have. And the first thing that freaked me out is I'm like, I don't want to wait till March 14th. The press are flipping out about it. Everyone's saying it's a masterpiece. It's this amazing piece of sci-fi. You have to see it on the big screen. I don't even have a choice to see it on a big screen. But I'm also concerned that I have to wait three weeks to see it. And I haven't read the book, so I don't even know what the heck is going on in the film. And that was half of my thing is like, I just want to know what's happening and what what is in the shiver. Like, I want to know. So um, I was super upset. I contacted Paramount in the U.S., who I know. I contacted my German PR teams. And eventually, out of nowhere, the German PR emailed um, locally and they said, we have a screener from Netflix that will be available. Uh, I had to wait until this week to get the copy of that. And so I was able to watch it through Netflix. They have a special um, press website for for, uh, media. And I was able to watch it there. So I was able to see the film. And I mean, to be completely honest, for those wondering, it did not have the same impact on me. And the first time I watched it, which is I, I, I connected it to my TV, so at least I was getting a better than my computer screen experience, 
it just felt I, I mean, I felt from the moment it started, I felt like I'm missing something. I didn't I didn't feel like I could feel the impact of it. And by the end, I thought, okay, this is a really good film, but it just didn't blow me away that I think it would have if I was watching it in a cinema. And I hate to admit that because a lot of critics love to, to sort of believe in this idea that a film is a film. It doesn't matter how you see it, but it does. To me, it really does. It. it, it I, I don't know if I'll be able to love this film as much as everyone because I didn't get the chance to see it in the cinema first. And because of that, I I felt like I was a little bit more nitpicky on it, and I felt like it was so surface level in it. Like when we get into the film, there's something you told me before I watched it that that's kind of how I viewed the film, and it didn't it didn't blow me away in the way that you're saying, like that scene at the end or just the moments where things happen. Like it doesn't have that sort of really deep, like visceral experience that I was hoping for. And I, and I feel I just bad had, that yeah. that's the way you had to watch the movie. It's disappointing to me that um, it probably took away from your experience. And I can see how it would because being in the theater and having the sound of that, um, that fi- those final moments just sort of rise up to that level that you can't duplicate on your own is uh, hard. It's really hard to put into words how effective it is in a theater. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, I'm actually looking forward to the the point, like three, four years from now, where somehow, somewhere, I'm able to see it in a cinema, like some retrospective screening, and I hope that 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 opportunity will give me, uh, you know, open my mind in a way and give me another chance to actually experience it the way it was meant to be seen. Um, but for now, I don't. I want. I don't want to say it was a complete. Like, I don't like the film. I. I and I rewatched a, a lot of it before recording today too, so we've both seen it twice, so we can get into some details on it. But it just, it may be on top ten list for some people, and it's not for me. And that's the only that's the only thing I can say for now. It's like I really appreciate a lot of it. And what I want to get into for the film, maybe this is, can be a good point to start, is that it felt very surface level to me, and I want to examine the depth of it because even the second time going through a lot of it, I'm like, well, there's so much that's just like this is it. Like there's some creatures they encounter and they talk about things. And there's the moment at the end with her like clone alien self. And it's all about cells and biology. And, wait, 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 like, that's wait, it. wait, <laughs> what? wait, what you think that we're just going to go right into it. Then you think that that was Let's begin. a clone of her or do you think that was the alien of, or do you think that was her? Um, well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> let's let's uh, let me say you you uh, your tweet said this, so I read this publicly. But you also told me that your version, and I had heard this on some other people, but the way you phrased it is that you said the film was um, about cancer, and so I went in watching it with that mindset. So the whole time, and by the time I get to the end, I'm like, she's literally battling the cancer which is her, whatever you want to call it, duplicate. But there's the scene where, like, she, with the, okay, so after um, Jennifer Jason Lee lets out her light from her mouth and gets annihilated, the, the little portal hole opens up, and Natalie Portman goes and looks at it, and a little bit of blood from her eye goes in there, which is her DNA, and then it gets replicated, and the next thing you see is a shot of the cells duplicating, and then this forms this other creature thing. And then this thing is becomes a clone of her in the last few minutes before she hands the grenade to it. So I don't know if it's a clone, but it becomes a clone. But but that is not that's not what goes back, 
right? She defeats it. She Right, which is the opposite of her husband. Her husband is her husband was the clone of her husband stayed and the original guy killed himself. And the opposite happens with her, which is she's the original of her stays and the and she kills the clone of herself. Right. But she is transformed because she's already we you know, it's already in her, her blood. In the that very last moment when both of their eyes open and and they have a little bit of that effect in their eyes. It looks the same, but it actually is very different because, you know, Kane is no long is is not Kane. It is a duplicate to the best of the ability of the of that being duplicating Kane. But she is actually herself having been transformed through uh, her DNA infected, if you want to call it that. So where it goes next is, you know, they both could have very different paths. I want to go back to what you said about the cancer thing. When I first watched the movie, I got a big time, this is about cancer vibe. And Because literally there are so many lines throughout it. Like there's like the line where Jennifer Jason Leigh is like blatantly says, like a tumor. And I was like, oh my God, like this is so obvious, but sorry, continue. Well, yeah, I mean, look. You know, Jennifer Jason Lee has cancer. Shepard's daughter died from leukemia. There's a, quite a few mentions of cancer in the very beginning of the movie. They're looking and studying cancer cells. And it's, it's so, late. Yeah. yeah, it's very, it's very, it's made very clear that at least to some extent, this movie is about uh, cancer on a metaphorical level. And I think that's really amazing and really fun to explore. And you could talk for for hours about that, but. It is much deeper than that, and I, I think, and that's where I want to come back to what you said about it being relatively surface level for you, and whether or not that's because you didn't see it in the theater is a different point, but I just want to address <laughs> that thought, because it, you can pretty easily have a discussion about the ties to cancer, but it's also about, if you think about what each character in the movie is battling, right? The, Gina Rodriguez was an addict, Tessa Thompson was a, was a cutter. She was addicted to self-harm. Shepard, who we just mentioned lost her daughter, made a really profound comment um, on the canoe, which is one of my favorite scenes where she says, it was really two bereavements, my beautiful baby girl and the person I once was. So No, she, I, I thought she said the person I was once with. I think uh, the person I once was. Dude, I just watched it. It was with. It was, she meant her, her like husband or whoever it was. She didn't explicitly say. She said her partner. Uh, okay. I like your interpretation, but I'm pretty damn sure she said the person she was, like, with, like, her partner. Okay. Well, that's interesting. But, uh, you know, and I do think that she said something similar to what my interpretation was anyway earlier when she says that, you know, she says something about how every past life felt like a lifetime ago. I mean, that whole conversation, whether or not I got that specifically right or not, is clearly about... The idea that we're constantly transforming and becoming something new and changing. And that's obviously what the whole movie is about. So when you take what I'm talking about here all as a lump idea and think about it from the movie's perspective of what it's trying to say, the, the big message is obviously the things we think destroy us are in many ways recreating us. Ooh. That's touched upon many times in the movie and, it, and it's a really complex idea. Um, if you just look at it from the shimmer, which is, you know, a destructive force, uh, but actually when you look at it, it's beautiful and it's it's forming a new earth. I mean, you can go with the the whole, uh, 
you know, environmental side of things. I, I think when I first saw the trailers for this movie, I thought it was going to be an environmentalist movie. I thought it was about aliens destroying Earth, War of the World style, where they're actually, you know, getting rid of the poison of humanity and replacing it with beautiful nature. And you could probably find some of that in the movie, but I, I, I think it's pretty clear that it's about something much deeper and more personal than that. Right. At the very beginning of the movie, um, it's laid out pretty clearly for us. Natalie Portman is sitting in class. She tells her class, this is what we are about to learn. <laughs> like, like almost like telling us, okay, students in the audience, this is what we're going to study. And she says something that I wrote down because I wanted to look it up after the movie uh, called autophagic activity, which obviously is some sort of science-y nerd, uh, nerd term. I don't know what it means. Um, and in many movies, that's just them proving that these people are smart. But when I look up what an what autophagy is, and sorry if there's a scientist listening, A, for calling you a nerd, and B, for saying that word wrong, it, it's the study of whether or not dying cells is the cause of death or actually an attempt to prevent it. Huh. So that's really interesting and a really a, a new way of looking at what this movie is about. Now I'm kind of getting to my own conclusion here. You know, Lena's marriage is falling apart, but we don't really see it in a traditional sense. She's cheating on her husband. Um, a really well done reveal also, by the way. Um, really subtle. You know, when she's talking to Ventress, which is Jennifer Jason Lee's character, and they have that little psychological discussion. Ventress has a, a pregnant pause and says, you know, we're, you're destroying the perfect marriage. She knows something's wrong. She knows that the reason Cain went in is because he was trying to shake things up. He was trying to take a break from what was clearly causing problems in their marriage. Uh, he knew that she was cheating on him, evident by a sort of look that he gives her before he leaves and the fact that she knows and she is riddled by guilt. So this is what I'm getting, point I'm getting at. I do think it's very much about cancer in many ways, but it's also about um, each character's own journey. When you think about what Lena's journey is, it's not really cancer. She doesn't have it. She studies it, but she doesn't have it. She's not beating it. Um, what, she's, what she's consumed by is guilt, the guilt of ruining the marriage, of cheating on her husband, and I think when she's having that interpretive dance with the alien creature, that creature represents whatever is going on with the individual. And in that scene, I really started to feel like it was representing guilt. And especially when she tries to escape and it, it, it overpowers her and it, it, it almost in, envelops her and becomes such a heavy weight over her, on her shoulders, quite literally that she can barely breathe until she passes out. And when she comes to, it becomes more a part of her, more reflective, more of a mirror image. And it's not until she gives it the weapon for its own destruction that it actually dies and destroys everything else around it, the lighthouse being that, everything else around it. And then she escapes, but she's changed. And when she comes back, she hugs her husband, who's not really her husband anymore in a very different way than she hugged him the first time she saw him. And goes, I think, to show you that there is a lot to unpack here. And it's probably all right, and every interpretation is probably correct. But that's sort of where I went with it. And I'm curious to see if you feel like that's something that you either missed or whether or not it's just not quite as compelling or deep as I want to make, I want to believe it is. 
I did not see any of what you just said in it. Um, I didn't even really think they were having an affair because I thought uh, I thought she was only hooking up with the guy after her husband had been missing for a few years. Like there was the scene early on where he's like, "It's been a year," and I was like, "Oh, now they're gonna fuck." Basically, no, actually, it's pretty clear. So she says, "I'm gonna go repaint the bedroom." She goes back, paints the bedroom. Um, Oscar Isaac shows up. She goes. She goes off to the, where the shimmer is. Um, everything else is a flashback because they have their little affair moment, and Oscar Isaac looks at her in a way and leaves for the mission, and they do all the other stuff as a flashback. So I think it's actually pretty clear that there's two scenes that happen in real time right before she goes off into the shimmer space, which is the conversation at the bottom of the stairwell and her repainting the bedroom, which also metaphor, if you ever, if you ever need one (laughs) repainting the bedroom and covering it with white is about as good a metaphor as you need for a movie like this. Yeah. But no, the, the, you're wrong about the stair scene. That scene is clearly not, that's, that's like a, a relation to he's saying to her your husband has been gone for a year um he's still married he mentions that and i don't know whether that's before or after they've slept together i assumed it was before because i assumed it his was his attempt to say like look let's hook up because he's been gone and you have, you're wasting your time and we both like each other. Here, I'm going to here, let me let me explain it cuz I think I actually I think It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's a, I, it's a I know it doesn't thing. It really honestly it doesn't mean anything. Well, technically it doesn't mean anything, but just to clarify, in when she's talk when Natalie Portman's having a conversation with Tessa Thompson later, Tessa Thompson asks her how long uh, Oscar Isaac was in and she says technically it's been a year. And so there's your just sort of like script tie-in to say that the conversation at the staircase was where we start the story and everything else was a flashback. But like you said, I mean, ultimately, this is, a, this is kind of a, not really a big deal. But I do think that the important thing is that with, with the role that, the, that it has in the movie, and I think it's to accent the fact that she's got lots of guilt, and that's her thing she's trying to recover or get when she goes in because somebody i went to the movie with was uh feeling like she just it's a very female empowered movie yet at the center of it is this woman who's going out going in to try and find her husband but it's not really at all the case she's going in to save her husband she thinks she's the only person with the information available to her to figure out what went wrong and save her husband here's my point there's the surface level story which is her and her husband that's the very top surface level the next layer is the cancer story uh which i looked at it as there's the the concept of this foreign thing which in the opening credits shot a object from space lands on earth at the lighthouse and uh affects what um, it's basically what I interpret that as is, is a metaphor for cancer infects Earth, and it begins at the lighthouse, and then various pieces of dialogue through Jennifer Jason Lee explain that this is going to expand and take over and eventually kill Earth, which is cancer. And then the part of that layer of the cancer is the idea that uh, I thought it's a little bit like E.T. Uh, Oscar Isaac's character being sick is the is directly connected to this um foreign 
cancer thing at the lighthouse. And that only when Natalie Portman kills it does he get healthy again, like E.T. That was one, that was the whole cancer layer to me. Is like, the, like she is literally almost like a um, going inside inner space, like, or I think it was inner space, like going inside the body, like goes in and destroys the cancer at the lighthouse and then cures him, but by going into the shimmer. But then, but then what I'm wondering is what other layers below that? And your layer about the, the, Affair is there, but it's to me, it's like, okay, that's everyone has their thing, but what else is beyond these two layers of of her relationship with her husband and the cancer layer? That's where I'm not sensing anything with this. And I think there's more, but I don't know what. Well, one, one, one other note that I think is interesting on the cancer thing is, you know, if you think about it, what chemotherapy is or what most cancer therapies are in order to kill cancer cells you have to destroy what's around it and that's usually the most dangerous part i th i think it's interesting to think about the the way that she destroys the lighthouse in order to free oscar isaac's character of whatever is connecting him to the the growing disease of of what happened i that's really it's really interesting and it makes the cancer idea much more compelling than any of the other sort of theories or 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 levels, like you said, to the movie. That's why I think at its core, it's about cancer because it's the most, it's the easiest to digest and understand. The rest feels a little bit more like speculation and dissection and, and, and overthinking about the movie. But if you try to look at it from each character, I think she's got the guilt factor, but it's a little subtle. And, you know, Tessa Thompson's character um, her line, I think, is really powerful when she says, right before she goes off and becomes one of those plants, she tells Natalie Portman, Ventress wants to face it and you want to fight it. And she says that in a way that makes me feel like her decision had been made where she's going to embrace it. And her character, although it's not delved into too much, is clearly facing some sort of internal demons that she hasn't really um, embraced yet the idea of just becoming um, whatever it is that kills her, because her speech right before that was terrifying. The whole speech about the bear and getting killed by the bear, having fear be the thing that that whatever kills you brings with it. I wish I had the quote on me, I don't, but I mean, that speech by Tessa Thompson is really, really quite amazing and shows you how much thought has gone into the dialogue in this movie. When you really just look at the movie, especially a second time, you realize how the most compelling scenes are the ones with dialogue. And good sci-fi tends to be that way. It's not always just, it's not just chestbursters and, uh, you know, uh, whatever other monsters these movies can come up with. That's just sort of the filler in between the really deep, thoughtful language of the movie so i don't know the more i watch it or the second time i watched it I, it made me want to watch it again or just read the script yeah of course um this is what garland's so good about is that as a writer this is his forte and he's he's incredibly he's he's almost the classical sci-fi writer too where he literally explains things through the dialogue in a way where like as we already talked about like at the very beginning of the movie I mean, I wrote down some of these, and I wanted I wanted to read some of them off. But at the very beginning of the movie, the first scene after the title is Natalie Portman explaining what I think is the entire movie, which is she says, "Cells originated from one original thing, which was this one original thing um, in the entire universe." That later she says, 
the rhythm of the dividing pair, which becomes the structure of every micro blade of grass, creature and human, the structure of everything that lives and everything that dies. And then it, it this makes me think of something which you said, um, which is related to another line at the end of the movie, which I like, as I think maybe the bigger concept of the movie and what it is achieving is the idea of how we deal with in a, like in a very fleeting, it can affect, it, it can mean anything to you in any way you want is how we deal with some outside or foreign or some feeling. Like you said, every character has something they're dealing with and that everyone embraces it or doesn't or fights it or does whatever in their own way. And that one of the things I like the most about the film is that it's not about, I think you mentioned this a couple of minutes ago, is it's not about destroying everything, but it's about creation. And there's the line at the very end of the film um, where Natalie Portman, it was her last like interrogation line. She says, it wasn't destroying, it was changing everything. It was making something new. And it's that idea that it's, it's what you said about like, well, you're not, we're destroying it to solve the problem. But there's this, this concept of the, this, this whatever it is that's affecting them isn't so, it has no goal of destruction. It has a goal of change and it has a goal of creating something new and that that can mean anything for you. You can either embrace it and become um, what Tessa Thompson char characters become, which is this beautiful piece of life that isn't her, but it still is something beautiful or whatever. And it also one of the, the, the most important, I think, pieces of dialogue in the film is Jennifer Jason Lee before she gets annihilated. And I wrote this one down too, and I sent it to you. And and basically, Natalie Portman says, "What's inside of you?" And the next line is, "It's not like us. It's unlike us. I don't know what it wants." And this is this is one of my favorite lines. She says, "I don't know what it wants or if it wants, but it will grow until it encompasses everything. Our bodies and our minds will be fragmented into their smallest parts until not one part remains." And it's basically like this endless idea of that. The universe beyond humanity is just constantly creating and changing and creating new. And that it's just like even when we break down and go away, something will still be created new from our atoms, from our destruction. And that that's how the universe continually works and that this is some outside force and cancer is a relation to what we deal with as humans, but this outside force was doing that and that everyone's personal experiences were mirrored within it both literally and metaphorically when they got to the lighthouse or when they encountered some major piece of it and had to deal with these things. There's a lot of obvious metaphorical language in the movie. And then there's a lot less obvious that is sort of, it requires a discussion to really um, figure out how it affects each person. Because, you know, there's a great thread on Twitter somebody made about this movie and I wish I had the name right now, but about how this movie identifies depression and represents depression. They, they didn't take, the cancer thing didn't happen for this person. It was all about depression and was very deeply um, personal for him because of how much he recognized in his own depression um, within the movie and the messages of the movie. Good thought-provoking cinema isn't going to be one thing. It's not going to just be cancer or it's not just going to be uh, whatever it, it, it cannot be identified as many things and that's why um, I think this movie is going to really stand the test of time like people are going to be able to really think about that in the same way that to me the fountain 
has stood the test of time. You know, a lot of people find that movie to be very difficult to get through or confusing or, or dense, and, and that might be true. But if you, if you think about one element of the real world and think about how the, what the movie is saying about that, it, it takes on a whole new meaning every time. And that, those are my, kind, my favorite kind of movies, the ones that I can rewatch and rewatch and think about each different person's interpretation and how it's represented in the film. There's another great dialogue in the film about self-destruction, which is another core, uh, you know, another core theme of the movie. And this is right before the first bear attack. And Jennifer Jason Lee talks about how it's coded into us to self-destruct. And when nobody commits suicide, but we self-destruct. And it makes me think about what happens at the end of the movie when she lights the phosphorus grenade in the alien's hand, and he touches everything and everything he touches is destroyed you could you could say that she kills him and destroys the lighthouse but the reality is it's touching why is it why is it a him i know i didn't i i should have said (laughs) it but i just i just went with it um the idea that all destruction is self-destruction and all destruction is also creation is a Mm -hmm. really interesting idea and um and can be endless. And I hope, you know, I, I bought the book after uh, after I watched it today, knowing that from what I've heard, the book is very different from the movie or vice versa. Um, and, and I had said this to you before, you know, I read Alex Garland's comment about the book was that when he read it, it felt like a dream. And he wanted to maintain that sensation when he wrote the movie and not go back and try and recreate the book word for word but use his own interpretation of it as he had it in his head. And I thought that was really an interesting approach to taking a novel and turning it into a movie. It's the opposite of Fight Club, which if you you know, read the Fight Club novel, it's almost like it's a screenplay. And I'm excited to read the book, but I'm more interested in the next chapters because you know this is originally written as a trilogy. So I, I don't I don't know if that's something that Alex Garland is going to do. Yeah, I wish I, I I want to read it too. And I guess a lot of people have been saying it's so different that it's I feel like there's more to it. I mean, what I like about this movie is the the lightness of it, and basically the way it, it is rewatchable. And there's never like extremely heavy sci-fi in it. There's a lot of cool sci-fi, but there's nothing that's so like beat you over the head, or there's no scenes that go too deep. Even the dialogue, as great as it is, like. It's never so deep and complicated that you have to like sit there and rewrite it and think it out like for days, um, which makes it so rewatchable. It makes it also um, this isn't a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. But reinterpretable, which is exactly what you're saying, which is that every time you can watch it, you can gain a different interpretation. You can you can question it and relate it to yourself or other people in different ways each time, and and potentially use that reflection to learn. And grow yourself from it. I mean, of course, that doesn't mean we should go stick a grenade into our clone's hand to blow it up. Or a- I'm, I'm very, I'm very intrigued by the difference between a clone and an alien. I mean, this thing was created from her. So is it alien? Because there's also the line where, as soon as the scene ends, the um, uh, what's his name immediately says to her, "So it was an alien," and you're like, "Oh, it was," but then. I, I think I messaged this to you the first time I saw it, is that alien could be 
what I love is that he's 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 overzealous in the, thinking it's an alien, but alien could also just mean something foreign, like the other definition of alien, which I like because there's that twist in the dialogue where you're like you don't think about it, but hey, there's it's there. That interview is just really interesting because the movie doesn't need that interview, right? It doesn't need it to tell the story it's telling, but it all it does is just give us a sense of place and time and 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 some sort of anxiousness but it's not totally necessary something i some i, I want to mention you know since we're this is going to be a little bit of a shorter podcast so we'll sort of wrap it up but um i thought it was interesting that uh the skeletons outside the lighthouse i i haven't really seen anybody talk about it and i wanted to bring it up you know they the camera emphasizes that that sort of like cultish collection of 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 rib cages and and heads and bones right outside the lighthouse there's four shots up that focus in on it but you never seen any characters natalie portman investigated or even care she just walks right by it i thought that was really weird and interesting and i feel like there's something there i'm supposed to understand why would somebody ignore dead skeletons right outside and what does it mean? <laughs> well, I just figured by that point she was like so done with dead skeletons. I mean, they'd seen everything that all she wanted to do was get into the lighthouse and figure out what the fuck was in the lighthouse. I mean, that's I, w- I wouldn't care. I'd be like, man, we've seen a man bear pig. We've seen like crazy crocodile. But like, who did it? I, who did that? Well, a lot of it seemed like it was self done. So, for example, the, the cool. The shot where, um, not the shot, but the, the point where they the the video camera has Oscar Isaac cutting open the guy's stomach, and then a couple scenes later you see that there's this like beautiful thing that grew out of the guy's stomach, like that was self done. It it came into it, but it created it itself, and that's I think that's the whole concept of the film is what we've already talked about a lot, which is destruction leading towards creation and i would assume that if portman was smart enough that by the time she got there she's like well these were the four other people who were in kane's crew who became these things because you know but who but who put the skeletons in a row in a cult like uh, offering kind of way like why i didn't understand that and i'm not saying it was a bad decision because i like the unknown here but but I, I can't figure out who would have done that. Would it have been Kane? Like, did he have everyone's dead bodies with him and he just placed them? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, or, or, or maybe, maybe you know, the the clone version is the one who did it. But when we see the camera work, the 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 handy cam, he had already filmed those dead bodies, so they were already there before he even got there. So it's just it's just mystery to un to to think about of all the groups that came before and all the different ways this shit could have gone down before the story we catch up with, which is a really fun way of world building, even though it gets destroyed right away. Well, I want to, I mean, I think the great thing about this film and and a great way to end, although there's one thing I want to ask you about is to just say that, that, that this is the kind of film where there are multiple interpretations and I like hearing different things. And if someone has an idea about something that they saw on it, email us or tweet us or, message us and just create continue to the discussion because it's not just going to end here i don't want it to say hey this is it it's just cancer that's it there's more so much more to it so the one thing i want to ask you about is that we were talking about this on the way back or uh, while you were on the way back from the film is that you noticed that the shot of the house that 
Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac live in is the same house that uh, they go to where the man-bear-pig thing comes in later um, is the same exact house. What does that mean, Mike? What does it mean? You, you've pointed Honestly, it out. It's clearly there. It is the same house. What does it mean? And they make an effort to, to, to emphasize it by having the lens flare the exact same. You know, when I first when we when I watched the film the first time, I thought, why is the exterior of this house so digitized? Why does it feel so fake? Like the CGI was really heavy there. I don't. I still don't quite know if that's what I'm supposed to notice, or if it's the fact that it's the same house or looks exactly like the same house. I don't. I don't know, and I, I think there's a point, but, you know, it fucks with the whole idea of the movie being based in some sort of reality. Like, it, yeah, I know yeah, it's oh yeah. it's all absurd, but it's it still feels realistic, and for that house to be the same, I still haven't gotten a good sense for the interiors, if they're different, but I, that's it. That's a question I would love to ask Alex Garland. Why are the exterior houses the same? Yeah, I mean, I would love to ask him that, and I would love to ask him about the um, the framing of the interview because, as you said, that's such a like not needed, but obviously he felt it was important enough for for something, and I would love to get his his mind on that. It's interesting. There's a lot of interesting thoughts. Also, the the tattoo is a really deep discussion to have. You know, the tat that the the snake eating itself in an infinity um, shape is a tattoo that is very subtly shown throughout the film. Um, the other, some of the other characters have it. The only time we see their forearms and uh, Natalie Portman's process of getting it is she notices some bruising on her forearm. Then she takes some blood in the next scene with it. She takes some blood from that forearm, notices that the cells are beautiful and, and duplicating quickly and then the next time we see her with the tattoo, three or four more times in the movie, it's just there. So tattoos play a very important role in this movie that, um, you know, I, I still don't really know what Kane's tattoo means. But if you look at the body that's pinned up against the pool, he seems to have a little bit of a tattoo on his upper left shoulder as well. So, like, I don't, I don't know. There is something very thoughtfully placed there with the tattoos that only Alex Garland knows. And there's a lot of that in this movie, which is very frustrating. There's a lot in this movie that only he knows. And whether or not he decides to tell us what they all mean is the one thing that we're all going to have to cross our fingers Yeah. On. Well, you know, the, the last thing I will say is that the, it, the film feels so dreamlike. Like, the uh, Garland's last film, Ex Machina, is so real. It's so, like, slick. And, you know, everything about it is... is shot and designed in a way to have that reality but here you have a film that is deliberately dreamlike with the lens flares with the intense like bright light palette to it there's so much going on that it's it's a, it has to be a point and i don't know if that's to say the whole film is a dream or if the whole film is just the concept of repetition which relates to your tattoo i, I don't know there's all of these ideas to it and, and I'm fascinated by all of them, but I also don't... It almost makes me want to read the book, which is not going to answer the questions from the film, but it, it, it's, it's interesting. Well, one last, one final thought, you know, I do want to address, and, and anybody who feels this way won't have reached this point in the podcast, but, you know, there are people on Twitter, and I'm, Twitter is all I know, right? So uh, 
there's people out there who feel that it's necessary to argue against the very idea of analysis when it comes to a movie like this. There's a debate over whether or not it's okay to try and figure it out. And I think that's just as destructive as trying to figure out what these movies mean in the first place. It's possible to do both. It's possible to simultaneously enjoy a movie for what it is, a very thoughtful, deep, idealistic movie, and try to figure out the actual thematic intentions of the filmmaker. Like, isn't that what the characters are trying to do in the movie? That's why they go in the shimmer in the first place, to get answers. Just because some of them were at peace with not knowing all the answers does not mean that that is a message to us as, as the audience. It, there is a lot to interpret, and it's this movie was made for people to have discussions like we just had, not for people to be like, that was pretty, and walk away. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's what good sci-fi does. It encourages these intense discussions it encourages you know alternate interpretations it encourages self-reflection um and i wrote in my tweet and i i felt very proud of this line is that the film is not only it's just as much about something not human as it is about humans and i think that goes for most sci-fi and it's in this film in particular feels like it is an idea about i mean the opening title shot of something coming to earth that's not from earth but then also it is about humanity, and it is about us as well. And I love that it's a film that it is all of that in one and all of these interpretations and discussions in one. Um, and I think that's why critics are connecting with it so much and loving it so much is that it isn't just simply an intelligent sci-fi. It has this like deep, open interpretation and open meaning to it. Um, and really, that's why it's like, hey, we can have a discussion for an hour, but... Like, I want to talk about it with 50 people. I want to hear everyone else's interpretation. I love, when if, when there's a good film, I love hearing what other people have to say about it and what their mind has been thinking about in relation to some things. Because everything you said about the affair just never really crossed my mind. And now I want to watch it again with that in mind and see how that affects my viewing. You know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a lot of good think pieces that are getting written out there that we can read, and I'm going to start doing that now that we've had our discussion. So, you know, and then I'm going to read the book, and I may have some additional thoughts to I'll share on Twitter and stuff. So, you know, like we've mentioned before, if you're interested in continuing the discussion with us, just, you know, hit us up on Twitter, because this is a movie I'm not done talking about, that's for sure. And kind of like Mother was for, for me last year, I could spend the next year talking about it. And um, and I plan to. So. <laughs> awesome. I love Mother. Screw all the people who don't like Mother. All right. Well, um, thanks for listening to the discussion of Annihilation. And maybe we'll talk about it again on you know another time. But for now, I feel like we covered all the bases. Didn't we? Yeah, hopefully we provided some insight and some different ideas for everyone to think about. And go see it in the cinemas. Go see it in the theater if you can. Yeah, fly to the United States and watch it here if you're listening from abroad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, do that.